When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, it's time to begin The New Jedi Order, a series of 19 books by 12 authors. It tells the story of Luke Skywalker's new generation of Jedi and how they respond to a new threat in the galaxy. The New Jedi Order was published between 1999 and 2003, and it was the first time in Star Wars publishing that Lucasfilm and the authors made a concerted effort to map out a storyline in the old expanded universe. It all began with Vector Prime by R.A. Salvatore and features what was probably the most shocking event in Star Wars Legends. Joining me today to talk about the book is Cat, one of the five new voices that will feature on the podcast as we go through the New Jedi Order series. Welcome to the show, Cat. Hello, hello. I'm super excited to be here, and I can't wait to talk about this book series. It's kind of mind-blowing, so. It's great to have you here. I'm really excited to talk about the book with you, but before we do that, why don't you tell the listeners your Star Wars story and your history with Star Wars Legends? Um, well, my story kind of starts with you, Aaron. Um, I had kind of dabbled and watched the movies here and there very casually. Um, but uh, as we uh, kind of became friends through Game of Thrones and all of that universe, you know, there's a lot of uh, crossover into fans that also like Star Wars. So started watching the Clone Wars and we made that like kind of an entire event and everything. So that really got me amped up for the whole universe. So then I decided to, of course, consume the entire universe as much as possible. So this is, um, I've been listening to the podcast for a while and this book series, I'm really excited to go through for the first time. So as far as the Legends books go, you really have no experience with them until like right now. Yeah, right now, today. This is the first time I'll be talking about it um, at Extension. But yeah, I haven't really read these so far. And so far, I'm really loving them. Well, that's awesome, Kat. I'm really stoked to talk about Vector Prime with you. But first, we have listener questions. The first comes from listener Chris Milvin, who says, You reference things like golf ball, egg-sized, etc. in both Legends and Canon. Did you notice in episode one that Qui-Gon says there's always a bigger fish? Do you think it's accurate that in Star Wars they'd be called fish? Do you think fish could be categorized into species, location, etc.? And why do we never see anyone fishing or eating fish? I think Naboo fish would taste absolutely great. Well, thank you very much for the email, Chris. You're right. I always get a chuckle from real-world references in Star Wars. But I don't mind using real-world animal names or food. 
One of the more famous examples in Legends is in the first book of the original Thrawn trilogy, Heir to the Empire by Timothy Zahn, when Luke drinks hot chocolate. I remember a lot of people had an issue with that reference at the time, and I think they still do. How about you, Kat? Uh, I don't mind it at all. I think that there's no story that you can create inside of a vacuum. So sometimes you have to have those real world references. And I think it makes it feel a little bit closer to home knowing that Luke likes hot chocolate. I want to meet one person who hasn't at least enjoyed one cup of hot chocolate in their life. They don't have to love it, but I think it's pretty endearing that Luke really likes it. So, Yeah, I've never had a problem with the food references. It's more the other things. My favorite one still to this point is in one of the Dark Forces books where Kyle Katarn throws a baseball-sized rock. That's my favorite one. (laughs) They have baseball in a galaxy far, far away. And Mm -hmm. I love baseball. I just love that reference. It makes me laugh every time. Yeah, it is pretty great. I love it too. So yes, Chris, they call fish on Naboo fish. There's the goober fish, the colo clawfish, And there's a couple others. So I think Qui-Gon's statement is fine. As for the taste, I guess it'd be okay. I guess it would taste like fish. I don't really like seafood, but I can eat a little bit of fish. Mostly the breaded deep-fried kind like you get at Long John Silver's. How about you, Kat? Do you like fish? I'm pretty much in the same boat. I'm not a huge uh, fish eater. I'll have like some shrimp if it's in gumbo or jambalaya, something like that. But uh, on the whole, I'm not as much of a fan either, so. Well, sorry, Chris. Kat and I don't like fish. But thank you very much for your email. Today's second email is from Doug McClauslin. Doug says, I binged the majority of Legends books 10 to 15 years ago, and your podcast has been a cool refresher. Thanks for being a Star Wars content creator who is positive and level-headed. I have two questions. Number one, you always say to grab a drink. So, what's the official drink of the Star Wars Legends Lounge? Alcoholic or non-alcoholic? My nightly tradition doing the rounds at work has been to put on the Legends Lounge and have a cup of hot chocolate, since that's the closest thing to being the official beverage of the expanded universe. Well, Doug, when I record, I always have a cup of water nearby because I get tongue-tied a lot and my mouth gets pretty dry. Of course, I edit all those mistakes out before posting the show, so you'll never get to hear them. But if I were to actually enter the Star Wars Legends Lounge and relax in the VIP section, I'd order a cold, crisp Miller High Life. How about you, Kat? What is your beverage of choice when entering the Legends Lounge? Well, first, I'd just have to peep around and see who else was hanging in the lounge, and I'd be pretty excited about all the jazz music and all the cool beats. But uh, drink-wise, I'd probably get something simple like a rum and coke or vodka Sprite. I'm pretty simple, and usually I just need one drink, and I'm feeling good, and then I can go on with my evening. Nice. Doug's email continues. He says, you've been reading these books for the second time for the podcast. Do you tend to retain books after reading them only one time? Doug says he doesn't like rereading books for the most part, but he says that years later he sometimes has issues recalling events from the books he's read, even if he likes those books. Honestly, Doug, I think it just depends on the book. Some of them I remember, some of them I don't. Usually it depends on how much I like the book, 
but most of the time, if I really do like a book, I'm going to read it again at some point. Kat, are you more like me or are you more like Doug? Uh, definitely more like you. I'm a big time rereader, so um, I usually have to have a physical copy of a book that I really like, and then I keep it on my bookshelf and I reread the heck out of it. So definitely, and it helps me like to return to those characters or some of my favorite universes. Like some of the stories are a little subpar, but I really like the world that they create. So I have to return to those just like old friends. Thank you very much for the email, Doug. Now, listener, if you want to have a question answered on the show, like Chris or Doug, you can send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, feel free to record an audio question and email it in. Just please help me out and record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Okay, Kat, it's time for today's book, Vector Prime by R.A. Salvatore. Are you ready? So ready and so excited and very honored to be the first guest for this series. Excellent. Well then, grab yourself a drink and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins 21 years after the destruction of the Death Star, as the galaxy rebuilds and solidifies the New Republic. Leia Organa Solo is sent to mediate tensions between Ramamul and Osarian, a conflict that has been fueled by a religious zealot named Nam Anor. Leia travels with her daughter, Jaina, and her sister-in-law, Mara Jade Skywalker. Mara warns Leia not to underestimate Nam Anor. She says he's one of the most infuriating men she's ever met, and one of the strangest, because Mara says she can't sense Nam Anor in the Force. When Leia meets Ramamulian leader, she learns just what Mara is talking about. Nam Anor's a blank spot in the Force, and he's intentionally rude and condescending to Leia. In the end, Nam Anor laughs Leia out the door and sends our heroes back to Coruscant. In the New Republic Senate building, Luke Skywalker meets with the ruling council. Luke plans to reinstate the Jedi Council, much to the disappointment of his apprentice and nephew, Jason Solo. Jason believes a Jedi is only responsible to the Force, and tells his uncle a Jedi Council will only tie Luke's new generation of Jedi in bureaucratic red tape. Luke agrees but he says he must do something to try and coordinate the actions of the new Jedi Knights, because some of them are becoming a nuisance. Some of the members of the ruling council are skeptical of Luke's plans, but some agree. Luke must do something. Of course, the meeting devolves into heated arguments between members of the ruling council. As Luke and Jason leave, the Jedi Master tells his nephew that it's good for a Jedi to question things, but sometimes Jason isn't going to like Luke's answers. Nam Anor receives a message off-world that reveals he may not be what he seems. He uses a secret communication device to contact one of his agents, Yamin Kar. Kar is a spy stationed on XGAL-4, a scientific observatory on the planet Mulkadon. He's been sent to manipulate the scientists at XL-4 to distract them from the appearance of the Praetor Vong, the first wave of the Yuzon Vong invasion of, of the galaxy. Yamankar releases an ecological plague on the far side of Volcadon and returns to the observatory. While monitoring space, the crew at XGAL-4 tracks something amazing. 
an incoming asteroid that appears to have come from outside the galaxy. They watch in awe as the asteroid approaches the ice planet of Helska 4, but instead of slamming into the planet, the asteroid appears to slow down and disappear from their sensors. Excited and confused, the head scientist, Danny Kui, and two others head out to investigate Helska 4, leaving Yaman Carr free to finish his mission on Balkadon. On Coruscant, the Skywalkers and the Solos decide to take a little vacation, one that will allow Luke and Leia to get some information about Jedi activities, hassling smugglers in the Outer Rim. Luke hopes the trip will give his wife a chance to rest. Mara has been battling a mysterious disease, some sort of plague that even the best medical professionals in the New Republic can't seem to figure out. Mara has been using the Force to try and keep the disease at bay, and it's draining her energy. But the former Emperor's hand is determined to beat the mysterious illness, and she refuses to let anyone coddle her, including Luke. Our heroes travel to Lando Calrissian's new operation, mining asteroids on the double worlds of Dubrillion and Destrillion. There, Lando challenges them to a contest, running the asteroid belt in modified TIE fighters. One of Luke's Jedi, Kip Duran, has the current top score. Kip leads his own fighter squadron, and he's one of the reasons Luke is considering reforming the Jedi Council. The Solo kids jump at the chance to test themselves in the asteroid field. All are formidable pilots, and Jason and Anakin do well enough to get their names on the leaderboard. But then it's Jaina's turn, the one who really takes after her father in the cockpit. Falling deeply into the Force, Jaina stuns the crowd on Dubrillion, posting a score more than double Kip Duran's. After watching Jaina's run, Kip congratulates her and asks her to join his squadron, if Luke and her parents permit it. But Kip's in a hurry. He's received an odd message from one of his squadron's satellites, and now they're off to investigate on a backwater ball of ice called Helska 4. Danny Kui and her crew arrive at Helska 4 and find nothing. They start to question what they witnessed when they see a group of asteroids moving towards them. But they aren't asteroids, they're ships, Yuzon Vong coral skippers. And soon, the living fighters disable Danny's ship and take the three scientists captive. They're taken before the Praetorate Vong leader, Prefect D. Gera. He orders her colleagues to be executed, but tells Danny to exult. She will be the first to witness the Vong invasion, to conquer and purify the galaxy. Danny is taken before the Yamask, a huge monster the Vong used to coordinate military operations. The Yamask begins torturing Danny when Kip's squadron arrives. The dozen and two fight valiantly, but they're no match for the mysterious coral skippers. Most of the fighters are destroyed, and Kip escapes. But his apprentice, Miko Reglia, is caught. Prefect Degera sees Miko's capture as an opportunity to test the war coordinator's will against a Jedi. In the end, the Yamask breaks Miko and dashes any hopes Danny has for escape. On Belkadon, a mysterious storm engulfs the planet, changing the plant life and destroying the wildlife. The remaining scientists at Escal 4 gather samples of the ecological disaster and attempt to call Coruscant, but they can't get a signal because Yoman Kar has sabotaged the station antenna. When the scientists put a crew together to repair the antenna, Kar reveals his true self, a 
tattooed, scarred, hideously mutilated Yuzhan Vong warrior, and the Exgal 4 scientists are trapped in the observatory with him. Slowly, systematically, Yeoman Carr stalks the scientists. They try to escape in an old transport, but in the end, it's no use. Yeoman Carr hunts down the scientists, slaughtering them one by one. Lando receives a garbled message from Balkadon, something about an observatory in trouble. Luke and Mara decide to investigate the planet and find that Mara's disease gets worse when they approach. They make their way to the observatory and walk into a nightmare. Balkadon is dying and the scientific team has disappeared, leaving only blood and gore behind. Luke and Mara split up to investigate the station when Mara is attacked by Yaman Kar. The hideous warrior employs strange living weapons like projectile bugs and a reptile-like spear. But strangest of all, Mara cannot sense Yaman Kar in the Force. Kar knocks Mara to the ground, but the Jedi surprises him, dodging quickly and stabbing the warrior through the heart. Following the attack, Luke and Mara gather up the mysterious warrior's body. Luke orders R2-D2 to download all the information in the observatory's database before the three escape the storm and leave the planet. Meanwhile, Lando asks Han, Chewie, and Anakin to make a supply run for him to the nearby planet Serpendal. When they arrive, Han can't find Lando's contact. Instead, they find a planet in chaos. The orbit of Serpendal's moon is decaying, and it'll soon crash into the planet. Han can't understand what's happening. But Anakin feels a disturbance in the Force, and it leads him to something horrible. Some kind of monster is distorting gravity, pulling Serpendal's moon down to the planet. Han and Chewie load up as many terrified refugees as possible, but as Anakin hurries a frightened child to the boarding ramp, he's knocked off by falling debris. Chewie jumps out after the youngest Solo as the wind howls and the ground starts to tear apart. Chewie scoops up Anakin and tries to make it back to the Falcon, but Han struggles to hold the ship steady, hovering above the Earth as the moon gets closer and closer. Finally, the moon hits Serpendal's atmosphere and starts ripping the planet apart. Chewie throws Anakin up to the Falcon's loading ramp before being blown away in a torrent. Han orders Anakin to take the helm while he tries to reach Chewbacca, but it's all in vain. Anakin must make an impossible decision. If they try to reach Chewie, the Falcon will be destroyed, and everyone on board will die. Tears in his eyes, Anakin steers the ship skyward, just in time before the planet is decimated. Han watches helplessly from the ramp at his best friend's final moments. Chewie stands tall on a pile of rubble, arms raised, roaring in defiance, before he's blown away as the moon strikes the surface of the planet. Han is broken by Chewbacca's death and blames Anakin for leaving him. Anakin is distraught. His father's angry words are like a knife to his heart. On the return to Dubrillion, they discover Kip's broken down X-Wing just outside the system. When they get into dock, Kip tells everyone about what he's discovered on Helskafor, a violent alien race that has strange living starfighters. Leia hails a nearby New Republic capital ship, the Rejuvenator, 
and when Luke and Mara return to the system, the small battle group jumps to the frozen planet. Luke says they need more information about this new threat before going to the New Republic. He and Lando modify a mining vessel to drill under the icy surface of Helska 4, designed to carry one person who will drop in, gather as much information as possible, and launch back out. Jaina and Jason overhear Luke's plan and decide to take this mission on for themselves. The twins take the mining vessel and the dropship while nobody's looking. Jaina launches Jason towards the surface and then speeds away, luring a squadron of coral skippers away from her twin brother. Jason guides the modified mining vessel down to the surface and bores into the ice and discovers a whole network of structures and tunnels. Disguised as one of the aliens, Jason searches the tunnels and finds Danny Kui and Miko Reglia. They are discovered, and Miko, his sanity broken by the war coordinator, sacrifices himself to allow Jason and Danny to escape. In orbit, the coral skippers overwhelm the rejuvenator, destroying it. The battle appears lost when Jason's miner emerges from the planet's atmosphere. Jaina sweeps in and catches her brother, then jumps to hyperspace, leading our heroes back to the Brilliant. Once back, Danny briefs everyone on the Praetor at Vong, about their organic technology, and about their quest to conquer the galaxy. She pleads for them to counterattack immediately. If they don't, she says, they will allow the Vong to regroup, with more of the alien invaders soon arriving. Danny's words give Anakin an idea. If they can freeze the planet to absolute zero, they'll kill the Yamask and break the Vong's ability to coordinate attacks. They decide to use the shield ships Lando used at Niklon to reflect the war coordinator's energy back on the planet to cool it down even further. Our heroes jump back to Helska Four and deploy the shield ships. At first, nothing seems to happen, but then the coral skippers start flying erratically. The plan is working. The ice is evaporating, venting energy out into space. Soon, the process reaches critical mass, and the planet flash freezes. There is a distortion, and it looks like the planet turns to ice. It's the Mesenkanli wave, says Anakin, the fourth state of matter. Back off, Han shouts, right as Helska Four starts to expand. Suddenly, the planet cracks and explodes. The story ends with our heroes back on Dubrillion. Reluctantly, Leia decides to return to Coruscant to warn the Senate and the ruling council. Meanwhile, Nam Anor sets down on another world to stir up more trouble and prepare for the full Yuzhan Vong invasion. Time for a break. When we return, Kat and I will talk more about Vector Prime, the first book in the New Jedi Order. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. 
but let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Aftermath, Life Debt, continues the story of Nora Wexley's group chasing Imperial Admiral Ray Sloan, while Han Solo vows to liberate Chewbacca's home world. Han enlists Nora, her son Snap, Jom, Jap, and Sinjir for help. Can our heroes fight off the Empire and free Kashyyyk? Find out in Aftermath, Life Debt, by Chuck Wendig, the second book in the Aftermath trilogy. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today, Kat and I are talking about Vector Prime by R.A. Salvatore, the first book in the New Jedi Order series. Well, Kat, this was the first time that you read Vector Prime. What did you think? And were you shocked when Chewie was killed? Oh boy, I was shocked. I was heartbroken. I was screaming up at the sky with my arm raised. I couldn't believe it. And I just, for probably the first five chapters after I read that, I was like, okay, so he's going to pop up somewhere, right? Like somebody's going to find him, save him. But then my brain was like, Pat, he was on a planet that exploded. I don't know if he's coming back. <laughs> so, But they did a really good job with it. And um, I really liked how they handled Han's grief with that. We get little glimpses of it, but I think that's exactly how Han would react, would be with anger and disbelief and, you know, just knowing that he could have flown that much better and he could have saved him. So I thought that it was a great opening to the series. They really help lay out all of the groundwork, and I think they did it in a really artful way. So I enjoyed it. I remember reading this when it was released in 1999. We will not go over how much older than Cat I am on this show, but I read this book when it came out. I was in college. It would have been my junior year. And there was another guy in the house that we rented that also liked reading the Star Wars books. But I usually read the books before he did. I usually got them first, and he was usually a few behind me. When this happened, when Chewbacca was killed by the moon at Serpendel, I remember walking downstairs to where his room was, and he was playing a video game. And I just kind of stood there, and he looked up at me. He's like, what? I said, dude, I got to talk to you about something. Something happened. I know I don't want to spoil it for you, but I got to talk to someone about it. And, you know, he was gracious enough to be like, yeah, I don't really care too much about spoilers. You can go ahead and, you know, tell me what you need to tell me. And I was like, dude, they killed Chewbacca. He didn't really believe it. I think there was one or two four-letter words that I can't say here on the podcast. But I'm like, yeah, they did. They killed Chewbacca. So when I teased at the top of the show that, this was probably the most shocking event in all of Legends. That's what I'm talking about. The author, R.A. Salvatore, I think he does a really good job with it. It's hit or miss with people who read it as to whether it's something that they like or something that they didn't like. But I think the way he did it, if you're going to kill Chewbacca, have him screaming at a moon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember reading that 
the author said he initially got a bunch of threats. Wow. Because he did this. But he did say later in a Comic-Con, I think it was in like 2012 or 2013, the overwhelming number of messages he got was that people really enjoyed the book. And yes, even though Chewie died, I think it was the first time Star Wars fans really kind of thought, okay, there's some stakes here. This is the first time you're like, oh, man, they could do anything here. And it was really interesting when you read it. Yeah, it didn't feel like all of the characters had this plot armor. It gave it such more weight saying that, look, this guy that we all know and love, he is going to meet his his end. And Han realizes that same thing at the end. He almost says, we don't have our plot armor anymore. Anything can happen. So we have to keep this group safe, as safe as possible. Han tells Leia in one of the last chapters that he had formed this bubble in his mind of all his loved ones. If you were in the bubble, nothing could harm you. I always took that as the authors literally telling the audience, we're doing something different here. Anyone that you like, I wouldn't get too attached to them because there's a chance they may not make it to the end of this series. And I react to other potentially bad things that I'm going to ignore happen until afterwards. <laughs> One thing that people critique is the Yuzhan Vong, the villains. Mostly for two reasons. The first is that the Jedi don't seem to be able to feel them in the Force. The second reason is the Yuzhan Vong are... They worship pain. They're kind of sadistic. You don't get that as much in Vector Prime. You don't really get that. But as you go forward in the story, you get more of that. One thing you got to remember is when the authors got together to come up with a new threat to the Jedi. They initially wanted it to be a group of invading dark side force users. It's one of the few times that George Lucas stepped in. Lucas said that there would not be a group of dark side force users because dark siders would basically eat themselves. You would not have a full group. So the authors had to go back and think, well, what kind of threat could we create that would put the Jedi back on their heels? And what they came up with is, well, if they can't all be dark side users, the only other thing is, what if the Jedi have a difficult time using the Force against the Yuzhan Vong? What if the Yuzhan Vong were not there? You know, the Force is life, but here we have life, but they don't interact in the Force. I guess your mileage varies. If you find that interesting, great. If it's a story choice that you don't like, that's fine also. But that is the reason why the Yuzhan Vong are the way they are. I really like how they're handled in this. I think they're 
interesting because they kind of create the mystery of why can you not feel them in the force? Why are you not able to use it around them? Like, I want to know more and I want to delve deeper into that story. So it intrigues me more than anything else. Um, I do... Um, I like their ideology for the most part, um, just in that they're kind of bad for bad sakes, but it's more so of a, almost a religious practice for them. So I, I like them as villains overall. I think it definitely, I mean, gives, you have to create a villain that's going to be able to go for 19 books. So it can't just be something that we've seen before or something super simple. Like it's got to be something that they're going to have to solve this bigger mystery of where have they come from and why are they so different from us in order to create that story that really takes off. Did you have a favorite scene in the story? Um, my favorite scene was actually when Jason, Jaina, and Anakin were in the asteroid belt and they became one through the force. That scene was magnificent and if only we could see something like that on screen I would be thrilled because I think it was handled so well and just I really like getting to know the force and the Jedi as more of a, a religion and a lifestyle and I think in that moment we're able to get more of uh, how it functions and how you're able to use that collectively and come together as these three kids do. And I really loved that scene. I admit my favorite scene in the book is Chewbacca's death. Mm -hmm. But if I had to choose another one, I like when Nam Anor first sets off the war between Ramamul and Osarian. He's taunting the captain of the New Republic cruiser who's trying to keep the peace. When I first read the book, it's just another scene. But as you get deeper into the series, I think it's a really interesting look into the psyche of Nominor. I love his story arc in the New Jedi Order series, over the 19 books. He's not featured prominently in Vector Prime, but I think the author, R.A. Salvatore, does a great job of just dropping these little crumbs of Nominor's character, his thoughts about it's so easy to manipulate the people of this galaxy. I don't even care that I'm doing this. I don't care that they're following me. My job is just to sow confusion and chaos to keep the New Republic looking away from where the Vong are coming from outside the galaxy. Nominor's character changes through the series more than almost everyone else. I'm not going to say more than everyone, because I think you could argue that some of the Jedi, you know, the Solo children, some of the other Jedi at Luke's Academy, but I think Naminor's character development is my favorite. And that scene 
is a little bit of a microcosm for me for where he will end up 19 books later. Nice. Yeah, you can definitely tell he, like you said, he peppers him in, but every time he has got just such a bullseye on all of the personalities around him, like it's like toying with dolls. I mean, there's, there's just, it's so easy for him to manipulate the people around him and for him to um, just understand in an instant, like what is this person's real goal? What are they after? And how do I give them that without actually giving them anything? He, you can tell he's got a real mastermind for manipulation. Kat, did anything in this story not work for you? Um, some of the parts, um, on Excal 4, um, kind of felt like I liked where they talked about the planet's destruction and how that was, um, overall affecting, uh, that part of the system. And I really liked Yamankar. He was probably another one of my favorite characters. I just really liked how he also always had these um background motivations and everything and um he wanted to show his honor by fighting these people as much as possible but also totally just destroying everything that they were working towards and everything but i just felt like certain parts we were there too long or i didn't really i mean i didn't really have feelings for any of those scientists that were left on the planet with him so there was that whole part where they had to go out, excavate, and try and see what was going on with the storm, and then they had to try and make it back, and that part just didn't resonate with me as much. I still liked the planet overall, and I liked that we got Yam and Car out of it, but overall, the part just didn't recognize with me as much. So, I think the only thing that I sometimes get a little bored with, I'm not going to say it doesn't work, because narratively, it works. Sometimes I don't need to hear as much arguing between Jason and anyone else over the role of the Force. Again, narratively, it works. It shows the differences of opinion amongst the Jedi. Part of this series is the Jedi squabbling arguing with each other over how to best face the Yuzhan Vong. But you know, we have Jedi arguing in the prequel trilogy. We have Jedi arguing in the Clone Wars. We have Jedi arguing in Rebels. Jedi arguing in the sequel trilogy. There are so many books, whether it be Legends or Canon, with Jedi debating the role of the Force that occasionally that just gets a little boring for me. Completely works in the story. Completely works. It's just one of the few things that sometimes bores me. All right, Kat, last question I have for you. Luke's wife, Mara, she's sick. What are your thoughts? What do you think it is? Oh, boy. Well, I feel like Nam and Nor kind of alluded to it might have something to do with like a bacteria or something that they had um, released earlier into the galaxy before coming there or something. But I mean, 
is it something that they engineered specifically for the Jedi? Is it something that they just released without knowing it and it had these bad effects? So cool, let's use that. Like, I don't know. She has been working so hard in every scene. You can feel how hard she's working to be able to do everything she can just to be a normal Jedi, let alone, and really an extraordinary Jedi, but also keeping, you know, keeping the disease within herself and contained enough to where she can try and function as normally as possible. It's very ominous, and uh, I'm definitely interested in that mystery too. So yes, you are correct. Naminor did say that the Yuzhan Vong released it. Now, they were very choosy as to where they released it. Only a handful of people have caught the disease. In the story, we learn that all of them have died except for Mara. Mara is using the Force to keep the disease at bay. But it seems like she's slowly failing. What are your thoughts? Are are you afraid for Mara? I'm definitely worried for her, and it's hard not to um, kind of have the same sentiments as Luke, as, you know, like, he is watching her work so hard and so diligently, and, I mean, at the end of this, she passes out, and Jaina cannot get her to, uh, cannot get her to wake up or anything, and they almost crash, and yeah, I'm definitely worried because this threat is not going away. If anything, it's probably going to get worse, and so is the whole force issue going to get worse? Is she not going to be able to use it to save herself? I mean, she seems like a very, very strong-willed character, but oh boy, I'm worried. Well, you're going to have to keep reading further along in the series to see what happens to Mara. You're dang right I am. (laughs) All right, well, it's time to wrap up. Thank you very much for coming on the show today, Kat, and don't worry, listener, you'll be hearing Kat again soon as we continue our new Jedi Order adventure. Kat, if the listeners would like to hear more from you or would like to contact you, you have a podcast of your own, do you not? Yes, uh, me and uh, another avid listener, uh, Jay, um, have a podcast called Animated Antics where uh, we just pick a show every month, uh, an animated show to talk about and review. And we've even thrown on a Star Wars show in there, Tales of the Jedi. So uh, it's been pretty fun. And how can the listeners get in contact with the show? Uh, So you can find us. um, It is my personal Twitter is uh, at DelanceyCat. That's D-E-L-A-N-C-Y. K-A-T. And then the uh, podcast, you can find us on Twitter, J and Cat one um, Or you can find uh, the podcast, Animated Antics, um, on Spotify or Google Listens, wherever you find your podcast. Excellent. We look forward to hearing again from Cat later on in the new Jedi Order series. Now, listener, if you have a question or comment for the show, or you want to send in any of your favorite Star Wars character groupings, you can email the Star Wars Legends Lounge at swlegendslounge at gmail.com, or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Or, if you want to send in an audio message, 
feel free to email that in too, but please record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Coming up in the next episode, as Kat said, I will be inviting Jay on to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, and we'll be talking about the second book in the New Jedi Order series, Dark Tide 1, Onslaught, by Michael Stackpole. Join us for that on April 28th. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.